traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. Here we are in the new year of 2022, recording our first episode of the year as well. And I'm happy to welcome a couple members of our hemp committee, Liz Mason and Keith Butler. Liz Mason is the director of operations at Orem Labs and Orem Hemp. Both companies focus on compliance testing for marijuana and industrial hemp products. They were also one of the first certified cannabis testing labs in Colorado and in the United States. Their USDA, ISO 17025 accredited and Colorado state certified. Keith Butler was brought into the world of cannabis advocacy in 1979 and in 1987 joined the hemp revolution started by Jack Herrer. Beginning his first formulations company in the early 90s, manufacturing supplements, Keith has never stopped learning from the natural world. With backgrounds in law, science, manufacturing, and distribution, Keith has traveled the world as an ambassador of the plant. In 2019, Keith co-founded OP Innovates, which stands for Our Plant, Our Planet, to manufacture and distribute products utilizing the natural absorption methods of Naturia Plus, an organ organic patent pending cannabinoid delivery method Keith co-invented. That sounds fascinating. We'll have to hear more about that. Welcome you both to the show today. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> nice to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And happy, so and happy new year. Oh yes, happy <laughs> new year. So in, in addition to uh, what I've already shared, I'd like to get to know you all a little bit better for our audience here. So uh, let's learn a little bit more about your background and maybe some other things you've done uh, before getting involved in the cannabis industry. And I know for you, Keith, that was that was a long time ago, but you've got a, <laughs> you, you, you have a lot of experience. 
uh, in the world outside of the plant as well. Is that right? I do. Um, I've spent uh, I spent about a decade of my life uh, uh, trying to practice law. Um, I've gotten to travel around the world as a professional photographer. Um, I did photography for a catalog company uh, for about 10 years. Um, and what started me truly in the falling, becoming the true hemp guy was my original profession was a jeweler. And I had a jewelry manufacturing company. And Steve and Andrew D'Angelo and Eric Stenstra set up the, uh, the one of the first hemp-based companies in the early 90s. And I made the cannabis leaf jewelry for Ecolution in the early 90s. So uh, it's been quite the journey, always intertwined with cannabis, uh, pretty much for a full 40 years in some way, shape or form. And then through the 80s, I just touted around the emperor wears no clothes everywhere I went. I've traveled all over the planet, more than 60 countries. And I carried the emperor with me and turned on the world to the beauties and benefits of hemp and cannabis. So it's been a long ride. Wow, that's great. You know, we we gotta hang, you know, one of these NCIA conferences where we're we're gonna have to find a, a smoke circle and, and chat more one of these days. It sounds like you have a lot of stories. <laughs> oh, I'm all in. Yeah, I've been really fortunate and, and been able to share cannabis around the world with people in all over the place, even in the Middle East. I, I got to smoke hash in a cave with uh, uh the Bedouins, which are the original uh, nomads of the land. And I, I've really gotten to experience life and culture. And if there's one thing I've learned, cannabis is the one thing that brings everybody together. It doesn't matter your race or your religion or your country. People who enjoy cannabis share it with each other. It's, it's really a wonderful thing to be a part of. So That's I awesome. Say. That's awesome. Thanks for that, Keith. How about you, Liz? What did you do in the before time? Sure. Yeah. And I just wanted to say, I always learned something new about Keith. Every time I talked to him, I didn't know you were a jeweler. That's pretty interesting. We'll have to talk about that. But um, for me, I've, I've really always been a scientist, um, just wasn't in the cannabis space, but um, you know, I was born and raised in Oklahoma and came to Colorado when I was young to attend college and go to grad school. And um, I have a very well-rounded science education. I didn't have usually like you have a real strong emphasis on something, but I was a chemist working for in the microbiology department at CSU, but for an engineering professor. So I got to really mm -hmm. experience a lot of different types of science, which has helped me immensely in where I currently am. Um, and, and right before I started the lab with my husband, I pivoted slightly out of the research lab and I was doing a science advisory position at uh, Fort Lewis College here in Durango, Colorado, where I currently am. And I was getting to mentor and teach young budding scientists. And that was really fun. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Oh yeah, that sounds great as well. So we're glad to have both of you on the hemp committee here at NCIA as well. Um, as, as we move on here, um, some people have a reason for being in the cannabis industry. And sometimes there's an interesting story around how they got into the cannabis industry. Um, and I'm just curious if either of you have any of those anecdotes, Liz. Sure. When, uh, 
when Amendment 64 passed in Colorado, which was, uh, you know, legalizing recreational marijuana, we, me and my husband were watching that all unfold. And I think the world was really watching, you know, what was this legal uh, industry going to look like? And we've always just been advocates for the plant. And we saw it just as a really good opportunity to get involved and we started out, we said we wanted to legitimize and destigmatize cannabis and really just advocate the health and wellness effects. And, you know, in the war on drugs that's used cannabis to marginalize people for so long. Um, so we, we're really just passionate about what we do and our place in the industry. Mm, yes, absolutely. How about you, Keith? Awesome. So I often like to ask my guests, you know, how they got into the cannabis industry and if they have a personal story about how that happened. So uh, I wonder if uh, you could share that with us, Keith. Sure. Um, it was pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, I was 14 years old and I had gotten caught by my best friend's sister for taking her weed from her drawer. And she said, you have to buy it. And she brought us to Washington, D.C. on July 4th and introduced me to the world of cannabis and cannabis advocacy. Um, her friend was Steve D'Angelo. And I met Steve as a, as a young boy. Um, I started learning about cannabis. I became a part of the tribe and basically didn't go through the alcohol phase. In high school, I became the cannabis guy. And... Um, at this point now, uh, we're looking at over 40 years of, of regular cannabis use and not doing alcohol, which has become kind of my mantra that it's the balancing agent or the, the companion plant, as I put it, to us to keep us in health and wellness. So uh, that's basically where it came from. And then I was all into science throughout my life. My father's a scientist. So despite my passion for law and the legalization, I ended up on the science side of cannabis, um, working with uh, bioavailability and efficacy, and ultimately filed a patent in 2017 for a natural method of bioavailability, which was recently granted. So um, I'm pretty happy about how the cannabis industry has been conducive to uh, uh, an interesting life, which I've quite enjoyed. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. All those anecdotes from decades ago and even, <laughs> even longer ago. We, we, we have the science now, which which is really incredible. So we can say, told you so. Uh, yeah, uh -huh. that's where it's all <laughs> yeah. at. It's, it's all about the science. And, you know, I preach that every day. It's super important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we only have another minute or so left before our commercial break. But uh, let's fast forward to today. Uh, where both of you are professionals in, in the budding cannabis industry and all of its puns uh, and serving on NCIA's hemp committee. So uh, quickly, you know, what's, what's going on with you today and in the immediate future, Keith? Uh, I uh, work with Naturia Plus. That's the delivery method. I have a company called OP Innovates that licenses that technology and we search for high-end, wonderful companies that care about the plant to make their products deliver better and more effectively. So clinical trials, clinical trials, that's my world. Wow, cool. Liz? Yeah, so I do uh, cannabis testing um, for the 
state regulations. So, you know, mostly public health and safety testing. Um, the director of operations, which is a fancy way of saying that I just make sure, you know, the place doesn't catch on fire, or, uh, keep everybody uh, employed, try to steer the ship the right way. And um, I'm also a mom of two little kids who just got a surprise puppy for Christmas. So I'm staying really, really busy these days. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cute. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Um, yeah, we're, we're so happy to have you both uh, in NCIA's uh, committees and, and in our membership as well and uh, contributing to the thought leadership and, and policy recommendations that is NCIA's work and, and couldn't be done without, without its members. So let's go ahead and take that first commercial break and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. Um, your host, Bethany Moore, NCIA's Deputy Director of Communications, chatting with a couple members of our hemp committee, Liz Mason and Keith Butler. So let's talk about your committee at NCIA. You know, we, NCIA obviously deals in all things, quote unquote, cannabis. And hemp, of course, is a bit different from the licensed cannabis industry with higher THC levels being the main thing. So let's, let's start and help our audience and me out by making some definitions about the differences between hemp and cannabis, just, just to establish a baseline here. So, so they can understand more about who you are and what you're doing as a committee. Liz? Sure. Yeah. As you said, NCIA has been largely focused on the legalization of marijuana or cannabis and not necessarily hemp. Uh, so the hemp committee is fairly new and really our focus is just on education around the issues that affect the hemp industry specifically. And that's everything from regulations to banking to social equity. Um, but really that education piece is, is important and just the difference between hemp and cannabis uh, we can start with the legal definition that in the 2018 Farm Bill set, which defines hemp as cannabis sativa L and any part of the plant that including the seeds thereof and all derivatives, extracts, cannabinoids, isomers, acids, salts, and salts of isomers with no more than 0.3% concentration of THC. So that's, in to summarize that, that's anything that's not over 0.3 delta nine. But Keith can elaborate more on how this definition is a little narrow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when Congress legalized hemp, they were operating under a, a mythological character of this word hemp because mm -hmm. hemp is cannabis and marijuana right. is cannabis. So what they were trying to do was define the cannabis plant as a non-psychoactive plant, which could be used for industrial purposes. So they put a limit of 0.3 Delta 9 THC. 
Now, what that effectively did was legalize all cannabis except for any part of cannabis that has more than 0.3 delta 9, specifically THC. So we've got 125 cannabinoids that are found in the cannabis plant. They're all found in the hemp plant too. And the only differentiator is how much delta 9, which is what Congress believed was the single psychoactive substance of the hemp plant, how much delta 9 was in there that would not cause a psychoactive event or effects. And that really is the defining moment and the defining line of hemp and cannabis. But in reality, they are exactly the same plant. So just bred a little bit differently. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um, so with the cannabinoids being present in, you know, both the the hemp and the uh, psychoactive, how do these these newer newer discovered cannabinoids, I should say, for folks like us who are just discovering CBN and CBG gummies, um, how do the CBDs, the CBNs, the CBGs, and and even synthetic compounds play into the hemp world, Keith? So cannabinoids can be synthetically created or they can be converted. And that's really what the hemp industry has created is we've made tons of isolates and things like CBD can now be converted through chemical processes to THC. And we can convert THC to CBN and so on and so forth, all stemming from how cannabinoids work that they convert from one compound to another, starting with CBGA as the mother. So, and then there's this whole new industry of synthetics, which the door is opened up, which are made by yeast or fermentation or algae, where they take the genetics that they're looking to create and they splice them into a medium, which then grows that exact compound, whether it be CBD or THC or CBN. So the whole world is open to us for cannabinoids as part of the blessing of the legalization of hemp. And uh, all we have left is over 0.3 cannabis and everything's, everything's done. Wow. Yeah, what I think is really exciting is that we're finally getting to do research on these cannabinoids. So these um, naturally hemp-derived um, cannabinoids, we haven't, we haven't gotten to really see a lot of the therapeutic effects because we haven't been able to, you know, play around with them in the lab. And so that that's really exciting to start to see that. And then as far as the, you know, novel cannabinoids and synthetics that are being made, you know, we could really see a, a breakthrough in drug therapy. Um, but, you know, I, I'm always going to advocate that we are doing proper testing of the compounds and we really need to develop and implement and have regulations that protect consumers. That's always our biggest concern. Mm, lovely. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, industrial industrial hemp is is really interesting. Um, but I mean, I'm sure I wouldn't want to ingest it. Right. We're we're talking more about hempcrete and textiles and fuel and other useful items for construction or sustainable clothing. Is, is that right when we're talking about industrial hemp? Yeah, and that was something that the Hemp Committee for NCIA really wanted to do some more education around because we talk about cannabinoids a lot. And what we tend to leave out is that industrial hemp can be used for all types of products. You know, traditionally, 
it was grown for fiber and to make things like rope and clothing. Uh, they would press the seeds to make oil and use that for lamp oil and paint and things like that. The modern day uses are really cool because it's building material like you mentioned, but we're also using biodegradable plastics. We're putting it in batteries, beauty products, solar panels. Uh, they recently even made wow. a, a car <laughs> with hemp. So, um, you know, the, the issue though, is that we need infrastructure, like the supply chains and the processing and the manufacturing facilities necessary to create the market products those need to be more established. And that's yeah. really what we need to focus on is getting that infrastructure in place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Industrial hemp was really a word that was used again to create a legal definition. And currently all of the CBD products that are being manufactured come by definition from industrial hemp. But industrial hemp's uses uh, span into the tens of thousands and as Liz had said, a car, someone recently started a plane company building planes out of hemp. Um, they're using it in car panels and sound dampening. And we're up to graphene now. We can actually make graphene from the hemp plant. So the uses are almost unlimited. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. So, so with that industrial hemp definition, it sounds like it could possibly include food for for humans on an agricultural level am i getting that right oh you've got that right so it's not just food for humans but the way hemp was utilized before it was outlawed is we would use it as a feed the seeds were fed to our chickens and the cows grazed in pastures with these plants in it and those animals ingested the compounds and then they passed it on to us and their milk and their eggs and their meat and we were, were getting those compounds with the elimination of the plant from the food chain. And this really is the, the, the big question of it all. Is hemp a part of the food chain or not? And it truly is. It has been since the beginning of mankind, if you go by what Carl, Dr. Carl Sagan says. But the government views hemp as not a food and not something that is, in fact, ingestible yet. So and as we're working on that, of getting certified feed and animal foods, that's the first step is getting hemp seeds and hemp proteins uh, regulated or, or not really regulated, really approved is the better word for use in the diets of, of our, uh, our agricultural system, be it the, the animals we eat or just growing it in the fields as a rotational crop and letting the animals graze off of those rotational crops. Gotcha. So gotcha. it is definitely food and you'll find lots of hemp protein products on the market right now yeah. that um, are just utilizing the proteins from hemp. They have no THC whatsoever, nor do they have any CBD. They don't have any active cannabinoids. They're just providing the essential fatty acids profile, which the hemp plant is really a spectacular plant for a fatty acid profile. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really fascinating stuff. And uh, we have to jump to our next commercial break here before picking up the conversation. But uh, maybe we should get back to those practices of feeding hemp to our cows because I have to make the joke that milk would really do a body good. So, all right, let's take our last commercial break and uh, we'll come back and wrap up our conversation with Liz and Keith. Stay tuned. Don't go away. 
NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. <laughs> Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio, chatting with our hemp committee, Liz Mason and Keith Butler. And as we were wrapping up our conversation here, all of this stuff, industrial hemp, compounds, synthetics, they're all shifting due to the farm bill of 2018. Our friend Mitch McConnell helped with that. This kind of sort of effectively legalized hemp, but honestly, it also left a lot of gray area for us to sift through. Uh, Keith, can you shed some light on that? I'd be glad to. Um, this is one of the most important things I think that uh, the entire industry, hemp and cannabis, face. And that is when hemp was legalized, the authority of hemp was placed under the FDA and the USDA. The USDA to develop programs to grow it and the FDA to develop programs for the safe use of it. What was missed was our system is based on two things. What we call old dietary ingredients, those are things that existed which were consumed by humans before the regulation and legislative bodies created regulatory authorities over food. And then new dietary ingredients, things that have come up since the regulations began. Oddly enough, in the United States, we don't have a process in the FDA to define and create and legalize a new dietary ingredient because there haven't been any. Cannabis was legal long before the regulations changed. And that's, that's the sticking point is what Congress should have done is given some direction to the FDA as to what they wanted the plant to be regulated as, whether it was to be considered a new dietary ingredient or a new drug, or if it was considered safe through historical use as an old dietary ingredient. And that's where we've run into the, into the gray area because the day hemp was legalized, the FDA said it was illegal to put it in food and drink. 
Yeah, so, and the FDA yeah. just kind of threw up their hands and said, we're not going to regulate this. And it's put us in a really weird situation between the state and federal agencies that regulate it. Right. Yeah, it seems like everyone's throwing up their hands and saying, not it, it's those guys over there. And then those right. guys are saying, nope, not it, it's those guys over there. And it's just kind of going around in a circle and nobody's stepping up to to really to really do it. Yeah, luckily the so the states are starting to realize that the FDA may not step in in time and they want a regulated safe industry and so that they are trying to fill that gap but um, it's it's taking a little while. It sure well, one, is. Yeah. One thing I really appreciate about, you know, NCIA members, the cannabis industry, the hemp industry is you know, we are kind of self-regulating from the inside out in preparation for what could be federal legalization. Um, so I, I have the sense that we're looking to other operational standards from other industries and have a lot of consumer safety in mind um, as we're going forward. So th there's, there's a lot to be optimistic about, even though the greater powers that be are dragging their feet, I suppose. Um, <laughs> So we have about three minutes or so here left on this episode. And, you know, I really want to thank you all for your membership with NCIA and, um, and you know, our committees are, are completely volunteer efforts. Um, I believe there's uh, seven or eight members of the hemp committee this, this term as well. So I'd love to hear, you know, what's going on with the hemp committee, what your goals are, um, and what you hope to achieve in, in this next term here. Sure. You want to jump? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, certainly we'd love to see more research done on the cannabinoids, um, the novel and the hemp derived. And uh, for looking for the farm bill 2022, uh, we'd really like for that to include a means to create the infrastructure to help develop the industrial hemp industry. And really with the focus on environmental sustainability and social equity. Um, we would really like to see more than just records expunged, but people who are incarcerated for um, these charges actually released from prison. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're um, optimistic that we are going to get a lot done this year on our committee. In, in addition to that, when we went into the hemp committee to begin, which we're in our, I believe, third year now, um, when, when the hemp co committee started, the the whole thing was about getting that bridge between hemp and cannabis, where we all understood that it's really the same plant and our objectives really need to align. So aligning the hemp and cannabis industries uh, and, and an understanding was a big part of our goal was to bring that education into cannabis and explain cannabis as hemp and same thing on the hemp side. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's really important that everybody understands we're all pulling in the same boat mm -hmm. to get to the same place. Yeah, because yeah. like the cannabis industry should see what the hemp industry is going through right now. And if they were to be federally next. legal, <laughs> they're going to be struggling with the same issues at the federal level that hemp is. Mm -hmm. Back I'd to love the old to dietary see. ingredients, new dietary ingredients. That's that's what the, hemp, the cannabis industry will struggle with putting things into foods. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be the big struggle. Absolutely. Well, maybe we can get some uh, old manufacturing facilities 
uh, updated and converted to start start making hemp hemp based products uh, you know more prevalent and more affordable for for the average consumer as well. Mm-hmm. And before we go, I'm happy to announce that NCIA will be hosting our eighth annual cannabis business summit and expo. We'll be returning to the Moscone Center in San Francisco this year. The dates are July 20th, 21st, and 22nd, and you'll start hearing more about that very soon. So stay tuned for that. And thanks to our listeners for tuning into another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Thank you both, Liz and Keith, again for being on the show. And thank you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So thanks for tuning in. Until next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.